Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. In October 2011, A movie was released. It was supposed to be a blockbuster. It was directed by Andrew Nichols, uh, who had done the movie Gattaca. Everyone was expecting that this movie was going to be a hit. It was one of the first times that pop star Justin Timberlake was going to cross over and become a movie star. It had a star-studded cast, a great director, and yet it finished third in the box office as opening weekend. It was beat by Paranormal 2, which had been out for three weeks, and Puss in Boots 1, the animated classic. This movie was an all-time flop, and it was called In Time. And its opening weekend just showed kind of how bad of a movie it really was. Uh, Famous film critic Roger Ebert says what was so bad about this movie is that it had such a great premise, such a great idea, and it just failed to deliver. Because in this movie with Justin Timberlake, all of the characters have a clock on their arm that counts down to when they die. And every time when you go to work and you get paid, that number ticks up. And every time you buy a sandwich, that number ticks down. And all of the currency is the time that you have on your arm. That's a pretty interesting idea for a movie. It did not turn out to be a good movie, despite it having a really good idea at its center. And I think what all of us hear about that and think about that and why we kind of go, oh, that is, that is a good hook for a movie. If I saw a trailer like that, I'd probably want to see that. The reason why that sticks with us is because time consumes so much of our mind. Think about how often you are thinking about time. And I'm not just talking about watching the clock. I'm not just talking about going, do I stay up till midnight on New Year's Eve or nah? Am I too old for that? Spoiler alert, I am too old for that. We think about time all the time. How do we save time? How do we maximize time? We want quality time. How do we make the most of our time. We sort of fill in the blank with all of these different ways that we are thinking about time. You even look at the ads that you are served, the ads that come across your screens. How many of them are telling you how that you can be more efficient with your time or telling you how to have a better quality of time, how to have a more uh, rich time in your life? So many things revolve around this idea of time. And even though it is forefront in our mind, we rarely think about the fact that God cares about our time. We rarely ask ourselves, what does our Christian faith, what does how we live out following Jesus have to do with our time? And I thought that as we had a week here on January 1st, where we're not starting our series on Galatians until next week, we're kind of out of the Advent, I would reflect a little bit on this idea of time for us this morning. Because for so many of us, our view of time is distorted and disoriented. It's a chief concern of ours, but it's something that we rarely think about in light of Jesus and the Scriptures. Yet, the Bible has something to say about our time. The Bible has something to say with how we fill our time. 
And I'd like for us to look at that this morning. I'm going to read from the book of Ecclesiastes. And as I read from Ecclesiastes, I want to just set in your mind before we do what one of the things that's important about the book of Ecclesiastes. And that is, it is Solomon trying on all the different wisdom that he can find around him. And like the friends of Job, he sometimes observes the right thing, and comes to the wrong conclusion. He is trying to live out wisdom from the world around him instead of living in God's wisdom. And so we find in this moment that Solomon almost hits the mark. He, as they might say, missed by that much. And so I want you to keep that in your mind as I read Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 13. If you're able, I'd invite you to join uh, with me as I stand. Um, I'm going to read it out loud. You can follow along on the screen or in your uh, Bible if you have one with you. Ecclesiastes 3 says this, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. That is God's gift to man. City Church is the word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. And so we see this passage that some of us may know. We may know this, maybe if you're of an older generation, because the birds put these verses uh, to song, and it's kind of a catchy little bop. Um, If you've never heard it before, look it up on Spotify, but that's birds with a Y. And as we read this, we kind of go, oh yeah, I kind of can see how that would be, uh, you know, made into a song. But as we think about this text, Solomon gets some things right, but comes to some conclusions that don't line up with the rest of scriptures. And so as we read this, we see that what Solomon gets right first is that there is a fixed state of time that we just cannot control. As I read through that list of contrasts, that list of either ors, think about how many of those things you have zero control over. You cannot control the seasons. I don't care how powerful you are. I don't care how much money you have. You cannot control the changing of the seasons. And if you mix them up, if you confuse them, if you try to plant when you should be harvesting or harvest when you would be planting, you're going to starve. You have to live in the rhythms and seasons that God has set up for you. There is so much about time that is fully beyond our strength and our control. Time marches on. 
And in so many ways, all of these things are a surprise to us. Think about mourning and laughter. Mourning and laughter are almost always things that surprise us. We can't control when a loved one gets sick or a loved one passes away. We cannot control when tragedy happens. It seizes upon us. And the same is true of laughter, isn't it? If you're expecting something funny to happen and then it happens, you don't laugh at it. If you expect, if you know the punchline of a joke already, you don't laugh. But if it's unexpected, if somebody tells you a joke and you, you don't see where it's going, that's when you laugh. Mourning and laughter are both acts of surprise. Time is not something we can control. We don't know when joy will catch us off guard. In the same way that we can't control the tides here on the beaches, we cannot control time. And Solomon rightly observes that, that there is times in our life for one thing and times in our life for others, and we often have zero control over what that looks like. Which, by the way, as an aside, should fill us with a little bit of fear and hopefully a lot of freedom. Here's what I mean by that. As we look at our lives and how often we try to wrestle control of time into our own hands, we should read these verses and be sober. We should read these verses and be fearful because you're in control of virtually nothing having to do with time. You are in control of almost nothing when it comes to time. You can't change the future and the way things are going to ebb and flow. You want to, you try to, I know this because I do too. But at the end of the day, time marches on. At the end of the day, life moves on and we cannot control it. But that's good news too, because there's freedom in that. If we will let go of control, if we will open up our hands, we can see that we're not built to control time. You're not asked to control time at any place. You were created to inhabit time, not to order it. So you don't have to fear the passing of days. You don't have to dread and be anxious as time continues to go on as you age because God has already ordered the days. God has already set things the way that he wills them. And if you find yourself in the days of weeping and mourning, this passage reminds us that those days aren't forever. And the same is true if you find your days of joy and laughter and dancing. God has ordered time and invites us to live in its rhythm, rhythms and not to try to impose our will on it. And so Solomon sees the way time is set up. He sees the way that time marches on and we are sort of helpless in front of its march. But Solomon's response to this observation is a bit of a mixed bag. He gets some things right and some things wrong. As I mentioned before, it's sort of like the friends of Job. And so the first thing and the thing that he gets right is that God has made everything beautiful in his time. God is not some sort of cosmic killjoy who's out to make your life miserable. But to be honest, if we think about our misery, it often comes from our attempts to control what is going on in time. Our refusal to see the beauty that God is working in our time. I saw this play out and I, I, 
hate to use illustrations about my kids, but this was too perfect this week, and he's going to get to hear it for the first time in a sermon. So, but this week, my six-year-old Elliot um, got a little emotional around bedtime. And, and as he got emotional and he didn't want to go to bed, um, he started to reflect on his day. And he told me that the whole day had been bad. Kids, have you ever had a day that you felt like was bad? And when you went to bed, you were like, this was a no good, terrible, very horrible, no good, bad day. Right? Oh, yeah, okay, okay. So not just my son, other kids have felt that too. And as I talked to him, I said, well, what about... What about when you did this with your brother? And what about when you and I built the Legos together? And what about when we did this? And he's just like, no, it was a bad, bad day. And nothing good happened and everything was terrible. It didn't matter what I pointed out to him. He just was sat, uh, set that he was going to believe that this was a bad day. Now, I don't point this out because this is some flaw in him or this is something that is unique to him. I point this out because how many of us do the exact same thing? Especially if something at the end of the day goes badly, how many of us lay our head on our pillow and are upset and we think everything has gone wrong? The whole day was off the rails. And all we can, we fixate on just the bad. We don't think about any of the good that happened. Most of us know what that feels like, even if we're not six years old. Most of us know what that feels like, no matter what age we are. But something happened the very next night, which was shocking, which was, I said, hey, bud, it's time for bed. Let's go to bed. And he smiled, gathered up his blankets off the couch, and headed straight for his bedroom. And I, I, I was shocked. This is not the normal order of operations um, in our household. The first night was more typical. But as he went to his room, as he marched down to, to go to bed, I said, hey, bud, this is a little bit of a different attitude than you had last night. What, you're excited to go to bed? He goes, yeah, because if I go to sleep now, I'll wake up and I'll be able to play the games that I want to play. And so if I sleep now, I'll get to the games faster. He was right. But what he was doing in that moment was actually quite profound and something that Solomon is telling us about. He was able to see the beauty in the way that God had ordered time. He knew that when he woke up, that he'd be able to play games. And so sleep was sweet for him. Sleep was an invitation to him to be able to see the beauty of what time could be. And that's what Solomon gets right as he says that God has made everything beautiful in its time. Whether or not it's something that we enjoy or like, like a six-year-old going to bed, God has made it beautiful in its time. But Solomon contrasts that as well with our inability to know everything that God is doing. Even when we believe that God has made everything beautiful in its time, we sometimes struggle to know what God is doing. God has put eternity in our hearts, the timelessness, the endlessness, the, the absolute outside of timeness of God. And yet we can't know the beautiful things that he is doing all the time. Not only are we meant not to control time, we don't know everything and can't see the beauty that God is working at all times. We can't fully fathom what he is doing. And this is particularly true when we're living in the moments of mourning and sadness. But as sure as the sun rises, God is working beauty. He's working redemption, shalom, peace, even when we can't see it. It's like when you go to the beach to catch the sunset and you don't check the weather before you go. 
and it's cloudy. Does that mean that the sunset is not beautiful? No, that means that you cannot see the beautiful sunset. The same thing is true of us. There are times where God is working a hidden beauty, where God is doing something that is shielded from our eyes, but it doesn't make it any less beautiful. Perhaps if you were to have a boat and drive out a hundred miles, you would be able to see that exact same sunset and the beauty would be revealed to you. The same is true of us. But in the passage, this is where the wheels start to come off a little bit for Solomon. This is where he starts to kind of go off on his own, starts to, to think his own thoughts, his own wisdom, insert his own opinion. And let me be honest, it's not great. Because he sees us rooted in time, but then he sort of becomes fatalistic. He is trapped inside the hourglass and he becomes a little bit Epicurean. Now, you might not have heard of the philosopher Epicurus, uh, though it's a fun name to say, but you certainly know his words because the words of Epicurus are quoted in the New Testament, they're quoted in Shakespeare, and they're quoted in the Dave Matthews Band. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That was Epicurus's whole philosophy on life. Hey, let's do whatever we can to feel good and be happy because who knows what tomorrow brings. And you know what our philosophy tomorrow is going to be? Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. This is quoted by Paul in the New Testament. This is quoted by Shakespeare. And as I mentioned before, it's also quoted by the Dave Matthews Band. That's what Solomon says. I guess in all of this, I guess we can't figure out time. We're stuck in time. So let's just eat, drink, and have a good time. But this is not a true and full picture of what the Bible says about time. This is not the beautiful painting that we even get from the life of Jesus. This time of year, we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus, Jesus coming to this earth. But one of the, one of the things that is so significant about the incarnation of Jesus is that the second person of the Trinity stepped into time. Jesus, as he was born of Mary, willingly chose to be limited by time. You think about, you ever thought about that? Jesus chose to be limited by time. Jesus only lived a certain number of years on the earth. Jesus didn't change the hours of the day while he was here. Jesus chose to be limited by time. And that's one of the first things that we should see in the life of Jesus about time is that limits aren't something to be run away from. Limits are something that we can embrace. Jesus embraced him. He didn't stop the sun and say, wow, there's a, there's a lot of people who are here today who I need to heal. So let's go ahead and make it a 25-hour day so I can finish up here. He didn't. Jesus stopped one of his sermons because people are hungry. I know there are times where you wish that I would stop my sermons because you are hungry, but Jesus did. He recognized that his time was limited and he lived and embraced that. And as we follow Jesus in time, we have to embrace our limits. You can't say yes to everything. You're going to have to say no to some things, probably more than you want to admit. But the second thing we see in Jesus' life as we think about time is that he used his hours for a specific purpose. As Jesus lived on this earth, as he went through time, he glorified God and everything that he did. And the same is true for us. 
Paul actually refutes these verses of Solomon here where it just says, eat, drink, and have a good time and just enjoy what you can in life. Paul says, no, no, no. Our eating and drinking can be pleasurable. It should be. You should eat good food. I like good food. Let's eat good food together. But that's not our ultimate purpose. Paul says that when we eat and drink or whatever mundane thing that we do, we should do it all to the glory of God. Food is not ultimately for pleasure. Food is ultimately for God's glory. And that's what's true as we go throughout this life. Each moment is a place where we can see God's truth, goodness, and beauty rush in. And finally, the way that we follow Jesus as he lived in time is we see that he lived in both joy and sadness. Jesus did not edit time so that he didn't have to deal with sadness. Jesus didn't edit time so that he could just have a happy life here on earth. Jesus actually walked through the sadness. You even think about the temptation of Satan with Jesus, the third temptation. What does Satan offer him? He says, look, all of the kingdoms of the world, all of the people and all of the kingdoms can be yours if you just bow down and worship me. One of the things that Satan is offering Jesus, is tempting Jesus with, is to hit the fast forward button. Look, we don't have to do, we don't have to do this whole thing. We don't have to do the crucifixion. Just worship me. Just take the shortcut. Just take a little time off the clock. And Jesus refuses. In fact, Jesus follows the Father, in, in a way through time that led to his suffering. In a way through time, a path that led to the garden where Jesus wept. A path that led to the cross where Jesus experienced pain and death. And while he endured that pain and torture, he was even making that moment beautiful in its time. Because that was the moment that he was paying for the sins of his people, paying for our sins. And at that moment, the clock on your soul and mine was reset. Because when he paid for our sins, time was reordered. We were given a new lease on the time of our life. And then after a time, three days later, he rose from the dead, setting in motion a new world. And that's where we as Christians are called to go. That's what we as Christians are called to see and order our time around. Our limited time, our time used to glorify God, our time used to bring the kingdom here on earth and see God lived out in each one of our lives. That's how we order our steps. That's how we follow Jesus in time. And I pray that as we walk through this year, as we sit here on a day that we use to mark new time, that we'll be able to follow Jesus and see him making all things beautiful in their time. Let's pray.